Welcome to the Business of Design podcast. I'm Cheryl Horn, Director of Operations for Business of Design. This week, we're going to give you a sneak peek inside our monthly BOD live member meetings and listen in on our most recent conversation. Following the Business of Design 15-step project management strategy takes the guesswork out of project management and allows you to deliver on-time, on-budget results every time. The BOD 15 are a series of client-facing protocols, but behind the scenes there is a lot more to consider to run your business. These are your team-facing procedures. So in this episode, you're just going to get a glimpse of the conversation we had at the last BOD live meetings. Our meetings are about an hour and this is about, you know, 20 minutes of that. Janine Laudenbach, Director of Leadership and Engagement, took the lead on this conversation. She talked about setting standards and clearly communicating expectations for performance that takes the guesswork out of managing your team. Very much like the BOD 15 takes that guesswork out of project management. Most of our members who have participated in either the conference or retreats have gotten to know Janine very well and she does do one-on-one coaching with some of our members. So while we leave out the member conversational part of this meeting, uh, we are going to share with you some of what Janine shared with our members. So she's going to talk about what team-facing procedures are, why they are so important to your office, when to discuss policies and procedures with your team, and how to effectively create an onboarding process for new staff members, whether they're employees or contractors. So it was a really great conversation. Of course, uh, because these are private to members, we leave out any of the portions where members uh, weigh in or Janine reaches out and asks questions to our members. So we're going to leave out that portion of it. This is just what Janine prepared for our members. So before I hand things over, I'm just going to run through a couple of quick events. Kimberly is going to be in New York tomorrow for What's New, What's Next. So if you want to hang out with Kimberly and Daniel House Club for Take Flight, Thriving as a Small Business, you can still do that. Please head to the website. That again is happening tomorrow. Our next BOD live conversation is going to be a book club about Atomic Habits. So you don't have to read the book in order to participate in that meeting, although we hope you do. Uh, You're still going to get a lot out of that conversation, and that's happening September 21st. And then at the end of the month, we've got the BOD contract for commercial projects. Please join us live if you're interested in that contract, whether you are already doing commercial projects or that's an area of your business that you want to branch into. uh, It's really important to be part of that Q&A. We don't want anyone to leave with questions. So that's September 29th, 12 p.m. EST. It's two hours and you will get a copy of Kimberly's commercial contract. So registration is still open for that. And then later in our calendar uh, for next year, our 2023 BOD Elite Retreat, uh, registration opens on Thursday. So save the date, head to the website, check out the details for that. And if you are interested, again, registration opens on Thursday. So details on all of these and more are at businessofdesign.com. Thanks so much. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the world's best business training for interior design professionals like you. We have the systems, strategies, and protocols you need to consistently satisfy clients, increase profitability, and run your projects like a boss. Unlike traditional coaching, BOD is a fast track to immediate results. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to hundreds of targeted training modules, plus member perks like BOD Live events, member-only podcasts, preferred pricing, and the support of an engaged community of peers. 
We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. Janine is going to be taking the lead. So I know she's on most of these calls with us and she'll jump in with comments here and there. But most of our members who work with Janine directly have gotten to know her either at the conference, but more so at the retreat. Janine takes um, takes on a big role and does um, coaching on leadership and managing your team uh, communication. So that's a big focus of the things that we talk about at uh, the retreats and members have gone on to work with her in that capacity one-on-one. But with Kimberly away, we thought uh, it would be really great to sort of uh, have that conversation with all of our members. And she's going to be talking about team-facing procedures. So I will hand things over to Janine. Thank you, Cheryl. And it's nice to see all of you this morning. And as Cheryl mentioned, um, for those of you who I haven't met, I work with Kimberly and Cheryl mostly on live events, which of course took quite a pause during COVID. But um, my background is in um, municipal government and primarily in management leadership. And so being a part of a government agency, I worked in parks and recreation, which was super fun, but also um, really organized in terms of policies and procedures. And it, it can be such a dry topic, but it can also be such an important topic when we're talking about running a business of any size. And even for entrepreneurs who are working as solo entrepreneurs, um, having policies and procedures that would work well with um, their A-team in terms of their contractors and their um, trades is also really important. So I'm gonna just do a quick little introduction and then ask you guys some questions. But, um, you know, really staff facing procedures, well, what are they? And basically how I look at it is there are the policies and procedures that help companies run effectively and efficiently. And, you know, in, in the case of Kimberly Selden Design Group, we developed um, an operations manual that was really for staff. But as those of you know who work the 15 steps, the 15 steps are really um, working with contractors and also with trades in terms of making sure projects run efficiently. So why are they important? And I think that's an important question to ask. And in government in particular, understanding the importance of policies and procedures really helped me um, lead a very diverse team. And it helped me to focus on what is the mission and the purpose of what we're doing. And most of the time when there was a question about a staff person's behavior or um, a project that was running behind schedule, A lot of times, if I was able to articulate what the mission was of our team um, to myself and to the team, it was able, it provided us clarity in terms of what the next indicated steps are. So, um, so, you know, having that framework for the organization is, is really important from the get go, really. So, well, why, um, why are they important? Because of course, like I said, they give us a frame framework. But it also helps us with communication in terms of how we talk to our staff, mostly in my experience about expectations. If I don't have clear expectations written down for, let's just say from the HR standpoint, in terms of positions, what's expected from a senior designer or from a, you know, a park and rec specialist, um, it's hard for me to really define what that person is supposed to do and then to hold them accountable for what they're supposed to do. And so um, for me to have clarity, first of all, as to what's expected is important. And then to be able to communicate that to the staff person 
And then to be able to follow up with the staff person in terms of their performance, whether um, whether they're meeting my expectations or not, having that clearly defined really makes all of those conversations easier. So a lot of times people will ask, well, when do we talk about policies and procedures? How do we even introduce the, the topic? It seems so... Um, it seems so harsh, right? Well, here are our policies and procedures. I think most of us want to approach work like it's a it's a family and we all love each other and we're here to help each other out. So it seems sort of a, it, it, sometimes it takes us out of our element, like when we're talking about policies and procedures. But what we did with Kimberly Selden Design Group is we implemented like a policy and procedure um, as part of their intake process. So we have like, um, as part of their intake, we have it, it's called the operations manual compliance. And it requires that when somebody is onboarded, a staff member is onboarded, that they will um, sign something that says, that states that they agree to follow the policies and procedures as outlined in the operations manual. And it's a, the manual we developed is a, it's a long document. It's a big manual. So on the in the onboarding process, we ask them to sign that they're going to read it, and then we give them 30 days to basically review it and go through it, and then we meet with them. Um, and, and if they have questions, we're able to clarify it. But we do it as part of, part of the onboarding, and the reason why we do it that way is it, it does set a tone for yeah, this is super fun, and we do have standards that we have set. And there's an expectation that as a staff member, as a part of this team, that you will be able to um, meet our standards. And then the other thing that it does is it gives them a framework for how we um, approach a situation, either where a staff member is meeting our standards, and then if they're not meeting the standards, how we approach that. And usually that's all part of the um, HR process. We have regular evaluations where we're able to look at performance, set goals, and then in future evaluations, we're able to review whether or not the staff has staff member has um, reached the goal, and then what we can do to help them achieve the goals that we've set for them, and then also the goals that they've had for themselves. And um, I will um, jump in there. Um, as an employee who started with Kimberly uh, 15 years ago, um, literally when I walked in the office, obviously you're given a tour and introduced to everybody. Um, but right off the bat, I was handed at the time. It's a, it was a printed binder, um, operations manual. Now, if anybody has the business of design ops manual, uh, we have a drop, a shared Dropbox folder and that's where everything lives. We no longer have any sort of printed, uh, documents, but I was handed that um, folder. And, and like Janine said, you know, you sort of have your 30 days to get through it, but I was also right from day one given tasks to do. And I had the step-by-step, um, guide to doing those. I was able to actually do tasks and be helpful right from day one. Um, if I ever didn't have work to do, I had the operations manual that I was consistently going through. So I just wanted to jump in as from the employee perspective, that was actually really nice. I felt like I was contributing from day one. Um, I also had far fewer questions because I had that operations manual right in front of me. I didn't feel like I didn't know how to do any anything. It was really nice from the employee perspective to come in and have that prepared for you. And I, I like what you're saying, Cheryl, because in some of our um, 
BOD lives when we talk about relationships between staff and team members. Um, there's there's two things that come up a lot. One is lack of clarity um, for a staff member. They don't really know exactly how they're supposed to do their job, and sometimes. Um, they don't feel comfortable reaching out to their supervisor or to the owner or whomever to, to get some clarity on that. But another thing that comes up a lot is that in design businesses in particular, um, the, the design, the principal, the owner is so busy, so busy that it's hard for them to delegate and to delegate um, effectively. And so um, while it takes a lot of time on the front end to develop processes and policies and procedures. And it did. It took us a long time um, to refine the, the, the book that Cheryl was handed. But um, on the back end, it actually saves time because for a busy boss, you like Cheryl mentioned, she was able to go through her notebook and clearly see what was expected of her in terms of her job. And she could pursue some of those things without, you know, interrupting Kimberly um, to ask a lot of questions. So that's been hugely helpful in our experience is to have that stuff laid out in advance. So one of the things that happens, and I'm glad, Cheryl, that you mentioned that we keep that document in an in a electronic format because it can be accessed by staff and it can also be updated. And when you talk to staff a lot of times about performance, and if there's a situation that comes up where a staff member isn't doing something according to the procedure, a lot of times in those conversations, what you find is that the, the policy that's in place actually needs to be updated. It's It worked at the time it was developed, but there've been changes in computer systems or the types of projects you're working on have changed. And so policies need to be tweaked and updated. And so just in terms of a process of how you might do something, Maybe before it ran through two people and as the team has grown, there's another system of checks and balances. So it's important when you're working with an operations manual on these staff facing procedures that when policies need to be updated, that they are updated. And one of the things that I found that was hugely helpful in working with a team is that Regular staff meetings, we, we do top line with Kimberly Selden. That's what we call our weekly meetings. But regular staff meetings give staff an opportunity to, um, well, at top line, you know, we actually, Cheryl, do you want to talk a little bit about top line? But we ask staff to say who's responsible and when it will be done. And then at the next meeting, we're able to see if it has been done. Yeah, when we do top line meetings, every single item in that um, that template is part of the the operations manual. But um, we have, you know, client name. What are the next steps? Uh, initials beside every single um, step, as well as um, by when dates. And you know, it's not going to be Kimberly going down that list and calling everybody out, everybody sort of takes the lead when their initials are next to it to just give the jump right into the explanation. So it holds you accountable. You know to keep an eye on all of your deadlines because every single, you know, it's permanently in everybody's calendar every Monday at 10 a.m. I'm not sure when the design <laughs> design side meets, but um, you know, it's that weekly meeting. It happens like clockwork. Nobody books anything over that uh, time slot, unless it's, you know, there are absolutely no other options. Everybody is responsible to be at that meeting. And that is true for both employees when we were employees and contractors, again, for um, business of design, as well as Kimberly's design team, everyone are contractors. And that is a set 
meeting that's in there every single week. Right. And, and one of the things that Cheryl, um, mentioned is that during those conversations, like if my initials came up and there was something that I was responsible for in the due date, you know, and it didn't, it wasn't completed. The, the important question that we talk about is the why, like, why wasn't it done? Oh, because as it turns out, this, there's like a, there's like a clog in this particular pipeline. And so it gives us a chance not to um, find fault with how employees are performing, but it gives us the opportunity to correct performance and if needed to actually correct the policy or the procedure so that it can be done, you know, the next time in a consistent way that actually works. So the, the why questions are really important. The other thing about um, policies and if you're changing policies or updating policies to have that that method of communicating with staff about why the policy is changing or what about the policy might not be working for staff. It, it really helps staff. Number one, they have important things to contribute to the process of development, of, of uh, policy development. But also when a staff person is included in those conversations, they, they are more likely to embrace either the change or the policy because they, they are invested in it. They have, they've had a part in creating it. And so they're more likely to follow those policies and procedures. Yeah. And I think because when somebody's coming into an office where your client facing side of how you run your business is so systematic, you're running them through the 15 steps. And that's something that we're constantly emphasizing that you don't break policy. You follow your contract to the T with clients. So for somebody to come into an office where you're very strict about the fact that you don't break policy when you're dealing with clients in the process that you walk them through. But then the way you run internal meetings is always different. The time is always shifting. And well, you said you were going to do it at this time, but then it didn't actually happen until three days later. You're not, it's not consistent. And it's not, it's mixed messaging that if your expectations aren't that you stick to policy um, for team facing procedures, it's hard to emphasize how important it is to stick to policy with your client facing procedures. So for for some that don't actually have a, a policy or procedure handbook, I think that the task of developing that can seem daunting and overwhelming. And that's part of why we developed the, the, yeah, the, the, the handbook um, that's available to BOD members. But in addition to that, there's also this idea that even if you don't have a policy and procedure handbook, you definitely have policies and procedures. And most of the time they're right here. And when we were developing policies for the city, what I would say to staff is, well, how do you, how do you, how do you hire people? Well, we put it, we make a flyer and then we, this was the olden days, you know, we post it and then we go to the high schools and this and that. And then we, we have an interview panel and this, so I would be like, okay, so start with how you're doing it, how you're currently doing it, whatever, whatever it is, whatever the task is. And then think about what's working and what's not working and how you might adjust what you're currently doing to a system that you think is going to work. And then you get to try it out. And if it doesn't work, you get to change it. And that's where, that's where, um, when people say, oh, my, my, manual isn't done, it'll never be done. To me, it's always a fluid document because as as we talked about or mentioned earlier, as businesses evolve and change and staff members change, 
those policies many times have to evolve as well. But as Cheryl mentioned, the important thing is once you have a policy, you follow it until it needs to be updated. Then you update it and then you continue to follow it. Um, in my experience, the only time I beat myself up about something that hasn't gone right is if I didn't follow policy. And typically in my experience, I've never um, I've never felt good about that. It's like the, the procedure's there for a reason. I knew it was there. I wanted to do it the easy way. And at the end of the day, it usually, um, it, would, it wouldn't turn out the way I needed it to. So I, you know, sometimes we learn those lessons the hard way. And, um, and so that's why our philosophy is we follow it um, to a T unless it's not working. And then we update it and then we follow it to a T. How much of the procedures do you share with clients? Really, the clients get to see the 15-step portion of it, but the, the, the stuff we're talking about today really are the staff-facing procedures. So, so really, clients don't see anything related to what, we, what our staff-facing procedures are. They're very well aware of the 15 steps, though, as you know, and a good portion of our manual is the 15 steps. So outside of HR and finance and that sort of thing. So, but in terms of how we do our HR finance and all of that, that's really staff facing. That's not exposed to the clients at all. Yeah. And one of the other examples that I give, so members who have been with us for a long time, they've taken the 15 steps, they use all of our worksheets and then the operations manual came up and and it's like, what's the difference? So sort of the way I explain it is that, um, you know, your worksheets within the program are where they fall into your process, what steps they're used at, how you update it, and how it moves the project forward. Whereas the worksheets in the operations manual, you're going to get step-by-step instructions in terms of how to create a worksheet and what goes into that document. Um, Because we still do everything old school using Excel sheets and that sort of thing, it really is a step-by-step guide. You would replace that if you're using a very specific program in terms of when you log into design manager. I don't even know if that's one of them, but uh, when you log into this program, you're going to click on this section and here's what you're going to complete. Here's an example of a description. Here's an example of, um, you know, how you would size something to make sure you're always doing it in the same order. Those kind of details are the kinds of things that somebody could actually follow step by step and on day one, create a worksheet for you. So that's sort of the client facing versus team facing procedure. And the team facing tend to be more like HR finance and that sort of thing, whereas the client facing steps are more the 15 steps. Um, Can you give some examples of when you didn't follow a policy? What was happening? What choice did you have? What was the easy route you chose? So in my experience, this is a general answer, but Sometimes the what you think is the easy, what I thought was the easy route would be not to address some some lack of performance with a staff member in the very beginning, just hoping that the person would um, improve or maybe not doing the evaluation, giving another month for them to to get better at whatever their their job was. Um, and so typically if I didn't, if I wasn't disciplined about how I manage staff, those types of things tended to only get worse, not better. Um, and for me, it was, I think for me, having difficult conversations with people has always been a challenge. It's hard to, um, sit down with someone and say, I'm, 
you know, I'm happy with this area of your performance and this area still needs work. And so what I had to do was just change my mindset instead of feeling like what I was doing was harmful or hurtful, or I was being mean. I really was able to, to understand my role as somebody that was supposed to be developing people and giving people an opportunity to be the best they could be, giving them the tools they needed to be successful. Um, and, and so I fortunately I had 35 years with my municipality. And so I had time to, to try it the easy way, which was to just let it slide and to see that that did not result um, in the way I needed it to. And then to really try following the procedure, which is we have like, even in our Kimberly Selden manual, we have a, a process for really for like things like dress code and general work hours, holiday. And then we even have a a process for progressive discipline, meaning if this person isn't performing, here's the first step we do. We have a physical meeting. We give them a performance improvement plan. We check in every 30 days to see where they're, how they're reaching their goals. That's a really time-consuming process and not following it is even more time-consuming. And not so, it's not even just the time, it's the amount of mental anguish that comes Working on a team where people aren't um, performing, there's resentment amongst, amongst other team members for a team member that may not be pulling their weight. It's just, it turns into a much larger problem if it's not something that's addressed right away. So that's that's something I learned in the School of Hard Knocks. And as a young supervisor, it was so hard for me to be mean. And as I got older, um, it wasn't as hard because I didn't see it as being mean anymore. I really saw it as really giving someone the tools they needed to be successful. I think too, one of the things we've we've done in um in the way we've set up, you know, business of design and even Kimberly Selden Design Group is is things like, for example, our staff meetings, our our top line. You know, you have you have different people working on your team and they all have different styles. Some people are more extroverted, some people are introverts, some people really like working with a team, other people really prefer to work alone. And so what we found is that having a mechanism in place that allowed information sharing was really important. Um, even the people that really prefer to work alone, they want to be quiet in their desk as they're doing, doing their drawings or whatever, they are required to participate in a weekly meeting so that everybody has access to the same information. Um, and, and a lot of confusion on teams comes from not from lack of clarity, from not really understanding who's doing what, why. And, um, and so so having those policies in place really helps to to allow people to have the information they need. And you know, staff meetings take a lot of time, right? There's they can be a pain in the neck if you're if you're busy working on a project and you're like, oh, I have to stop what I'm doing because we have to get together. But having an agenda for your staff meeting, having a process like we do with Topline, where everything's laid out week to week and it's just updated every week, you can be really efficient with those meetings too. And so. Um, whereas a staff meeting and, and really saying a start time, end time, we stick to our, our top line meetings are an hour. We, we do it in an hour. And, um, then again, everybody has an expectation. They know they can take this hour out and at 10 o'clock, they can get back to their desk and do what they were, you know, what they started to do. Some of the common things that come up on a team that are, that are challenges for teams, um, what do you do with like a staff member that doesn't seem engaged and um, how do you draw them into the team so that they can, you know, be a productive member of the team and, and actually having policies in place for things like staff meetings, for things like um, even 
something as simple as kitchen etiquette or bathroom etiquette. Like we went to that kind of detail in our manual. It's the little things sometimes that get in the way of a, of a harmonious work environment. It's kind of like our homes, right? It's a lot of detail, but it does kind of help resolve some of those unexpected things that come up from time to time. And for, um, I know a lot of you are just starting your operations manual and it's always, um, what I always say when I'm talking to members about, um, you know, should I have an operations manual if it's just me? And if you're ever thinking about hiring, start with those tasks. You don't have to do it in any sort of, you know, chronological order that it would go through throughout the project. But if you know that um, if I could hire somebody for five hours a week just to do this, this, and this, that would be a game changer and really free me up to focus on whatever it is that you really want to do. Get the Next time you have to do those tasks, put them in writing um, as detailed as you can. Give it to a spouse or a friend and just ask if that makes sense to them. To have somebody who doesn't do those tasks, read it and understand it from somebody who could potentially be brand new to your office is great. So if you're just starting out and it's just overwhelming, um, start with those tasks that on a perfect day, you would just hire somebody to just do these tasks and have that ready for them in terms of sort of scaling down how you know massive an operations manual can get. That's the place to start. And that was so much of writing Kimberly's operations manual, she would say, here's how we do it. And I'd, I'd be like, okay, that sounds so good, but I don't understand this. And she'd be like, well, what it means is blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, so that's how we were able to rewrite some of the things so that they were perfectly clear is that like Cheryl, I didn't have experience in her particular office. So what made sense to her because she had been doing it, didn't all, it wasn't written in a way that made sense always to the audience. So we were able to go through and clarify some of that. Then the other thing that I talked about at the very beginning is just having um, a mission statement and core values. For me, that's always a driving factor. So if we're clear about why we do what we do, um, it it helps. It really, for me, it sets that vision. It's the 30,000 foot overview as opposed to this, this thing. Sometimes I get caught in the daily task when I'm really paying attention to what it is that our mission is. It helps me stay focused. It's important to remember to keep it all on the up and up. You know, we, how we talk about our jobs, the people we work with, the people that we serve, it really impacts our attitudes and beliefs about those things. And so reminding ourselves of that culture is really important. So just in terms of, of a mission and value statement, like we think about sometimes that as sort of a flowery, superfluous thing, but if you're really, um, Inclusive in how that's developed, if you're able to work with fellow staff member or team members or trades to develop that that core value and mission um, statement, it, it helps to, to propel you to exactly where you want to go. And then really every single policy, procedure, process is really aligned with that mission and value. That kind of stuff is super fun for me. I love I love working on that. It's actually, it just really, it helps us to really do what we're being called to do. So. That's, that's the first, one of the first things in our manual is really what our core values are. So thank you so much, Janine, for taking over this time. Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. We'll see, see you next, next time. time. Thank you for being part of the Business of Design community and supporting BOD's mission to improve the industry one design business at a time. It's time for you to take the next step and join Business of Design. Like thousands of design professionals in 50 countries around the world, 
You'll find the systems, strategies, and protocols you need to dramatically improve your business and transform your life. What are you waiting for? Start today.